0: you have your Bibles, let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 4. If I asked you, who do you think are needy people? What comes to mind to you? (laughs) My husband, my wife, uh, I think probably many of us, if we think of the needy, you know, we think of people maybe in a third world country that don't have enough to eat. Um, But I think the reality of it is, is that we are all needy. We're needy in different ways. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't seem that way. We look on the surface of things... And here in the United States, we are very, very wealthy. I mean, we have a small percentage of the Earth's populations consuming a a large majority of the Earth's goods and services, okay? Um, We are very much blessed beyond measure, which is why so many people want to get into the United States, right? From other nations. Um, And so on the surface, it looks like we're not a needy people. But the reality of it is, is that in the things that uh, are temporal, we may be extremely blessed. But in the things that are eternal, we are very much impoverished as a nation. Compared to many other nations that are actually very strong in the things spiritual, the things eternal, even though they may not have much material, you see. But whether we're physically well off or spiritually well off, the reality of it is, is that we are all needy people. Because we all need the Lord. Certainly, if we don't think we need Him in this life, we definitely need Him to get into eternity, right? And so, what we've been talking about, as the author of Hebrews has been taking us through An example from the children of Israel as when they did not enter into what God had for them. God had for them a promised land, a land of milk and honey. They didn't enter into that because of their unbelief. They didn't really take God's Word to heart. And then he says, so we also have a rest to enter into. That's a rest that we have in Jesus Christ where we rest from our own works and efforts to try to be good enough to please God or try to be righteous enough by our own deeds. The reality of it is, is that Christ paid the price in full for us so that we can be justified by our faith. Amen? And we're to enter into that rest. We are to be diligent to enter into the rest that we have, resting from our own efforts, trusting in the Lord for our righteousness. And that's a beautiful place. It's it's the land of milk and honey, as it were, for the the Christian. But how do we stay there? How do we really uh, make the most of it? Because as we see, you know, resting in the Lord doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means that you're resting in him for your salvation. But, it, but having rested now in the Lord puts me in the place where now I can do things for God. I can do things expressing God's love to, to others. Not because I'm trying to be good enough. That was settled at the cross. But because I love God and I love people and I want to do something to express them. But in order to stay there, to stay in this place of active rest in the Lord, we we need a few things. Because the reality of it is, is that we have three enemies. The enemy of our flesh, the enemy of this world, which is counter to the things of God, and the enemy, of course, of Satan himself. And those enemies we face every single day. We are in a battle every day. And the only way that we're going to be able to abide in the rest that we have in the Lord and thrive in the rest that we have in the Lord is to make full advantage, take full advantage of the resources God gives us. And that's what we're going to look at now today. I think this is extremely important as we start this new year, okay? Because I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I tend to like, you know, you know I, I guess I'm like other people. I, I have great ambitions about this time of the year, you know, uh, to lose weight or exercise or whatever, you know, and, and I'll do maybe good for a week or two and then it sort of peters out, right? Um, and we can be that way, right? We need power. We need the ability and the grace of God to do the things that God wants us to do. I mean, it's good to have noble ambitions and all that, but, but what I want to know is what is it that God wants us to do? What are those things that are going to have eternal value, not just temporal value, okay? And those are the things that we really need God's resources for. And God has given to us resources, and that's what we're going to look at today. They are the resources of the Word of God, Our high priest, Jesus Christ, and the throne of grace, with which we are called to come to boldly. Okay? We're going to look at these three resources, and they're all designed, I believe, by God to help us thrive in this rest that we have in Jesus Christ. So we continue in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. He said first, actually verse 11. He says, so let us be diligent to enter this rest. Then he says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we are told three things here about the word of God. First... The Word is living and powerful. You know, there are those people that look at the Bible as some ancient relic, maybe a historical document, um, but it doesn't have a whole lot of rel- relevance to them today. We who know the Lord, we who, who have been impacted by the Word of God, knows that that's a total, know that that's a total lie, right? Because the reality of it is, God's word is living. It is alive. And that's why words that were written thousands of years ago can jump off the page right into the reality of our life this week and today and this moment, right? It's a living word. It's not an ancient relic. It's a living, breathing word. In fact, it is breathed by God. That's what Paul says in First, uh, first Timothy, right? Um, that, that all scripture is God. Second Timothy, thanks. Is God breathed, right? It's God breathed. And therefore, it's alive. And so, and secondly, it's powerful, now, that word powerful is translated uh, active or effective. I like the Greek word, though. The Greek word actually is uh, inner, inner gace. inner gace, Yeah. Which from that word, we get our word energy. The word of God is energy to us. It's active. It's powerful. It does something in us. And it does something through us, and it has the power to change the world, okay? You look at any revival, any awakening that has ever occurred, and always the Word of God has been at the root of it. In fact, revival has been described as the Spirit of God coming on the, upon the people of God through the Word of God. Why? Because it's living, active, powerful, effective, and we need it. In fact, we can't do anything for the kingdom apart from the word of God. Now, we see historically how that word has transformed people's lives. You look at the city of Nineveh, okay? A city that was renowned for its violence and wickedness and cruelty. It was because of their cruelty against Israel that Jonah didn't want to even go there. Because he knew how merciful God was. And he knew God would probably forgive him. And he didn't want that. He wanted them to suffer. That's why he didn't go to Nineveh until God rearranged his priorities. (laughs) And he ended up in Nineveh. And and even then, it was just like 40 days and judgment's coming. You know, that was his big, you know, message. But the people were cut to the heart, and they repented. And Nineveh was saved because, uh, you know, they were spared that judgment because of the word of God cutting to their heart. We think of Josiah, a man, a king, who is living at the tail end of Uh, of the southern kingdom before they went into Babylonian captivity. And when, you know, they found the word of God as they were uh, remodeling the temple and they pull it out and, and, and it, you know, it just sort of been forgotten. And Josiah had it read to him and he, he tore his clothes and he said, great is God's wrath upon us because we have not kept his word. And he began this amazing spiritual reformation. Um, Why? Because of the word of God that was powerful and effective that changed his life and also brought a revival to the kingdom of Judah. So it can still have that effect. And that's why we need to value and uphold the word of God. You know that God upholds his word even over his name, the Bible says. That's how much he upholds the word of God. And he said through Isaiah that that his word does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which he has sent it. So we need God's word. Second, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Greeks have had two words uh, for sword. The first is the large sword that's used in battle. Now, at the end of the Great Tribulation, when Jesus returns riding a white horse, we're told that he has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth by which he will strike the nations. This is the lethal sword. This is the sword by which the enemies would be slain, you know, okay? That's one word um, that's used there. But here in Hebrews, there's a different Greek word used for sword. It refers to a large knife or dagger. It was used for cutting flesh, um, and it was still a device that injures, but it works at close range, okay? This is the word that that we're told here, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. In in other words, it does a work of piercing our hearts, you see. It's not to kill. It will injure. It will convict. But it only injures in order so that it might heal, okay? It has that dual purpose to, to cut us to the heart where there is sin, but also to bring healing and encouragement and comfort where there's repentance, you see. And it has that effect, and it's absolutely necessary in all of our lives. Now, you recall that when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, you know, the people were gathered there, and then there was the Holy Spirit that came down as a a mighty rushing wind, and the people were speaking in languages they didn't know. They were speaking the praises of God. And all these people that had gathered there, pilgrims that had come uh, for the 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 feast of pentecost from different areas in the mediterranean they're all listening to praises uh to god in their own native language and they said what's going on here so peter just said this is what was told by the prophet joel that in the last days that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh you know and he he preaches this amazing sermon in acts chapter 2 and then he says God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And they were were told that they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized there that they had crucified their own Messiah and were cut to their heart. That's the power of the word where the word pierces into the heart to convict of sin, you see. And, and there, it, if you are saved, I guarantee it was because the word came and convicted you that you are a sinner. <laughs> That's what John was saying here. Hey, look, we're all sinners, two people in the world, right? Sinners and sinners saved by grace. <laughs> But you don't necessarily know you're a sinner until the Holy Spirit brings the word of God and it convicts you, it pierces your heart and you realize, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, right? And that's the effect of the word. And that doesn't just happen one time, (laughs) folks. We get pierced over and over again in our Christian life by the word of God as as the Holy Spirit arrests us and, and causes us to desire what God has for us desire to be more like Christ you see and that word pierces the heart and it he says it divides soul from spirit and the Greek word for soul is psuche it's refers to the vital force that animates the body in both humans and animals okay So animals have a soul. They have, in the sense of of an animated, you know, presence that gives them life, okay? But then there's the spirit, and the word for spirit is pneuma, which is the non-material faculty within us that responds to God. In our spirit is where we meet with the Holy Spirit, and we respond to God's voice, you see, in our spirit. Now, our spirit is eternal. When we die, the spirit separates from the body and we'll go either to Hades at this point if we don't know the Lord or goes to be with the Lord if we do know the Lord. But it it lasts forever. And no evidence that animals have a spirit, by the way. Sorry if you think you're going to see your dog in heaven. I'm sorry. I can't give you any sort of evidence for that in the scripture. But we have spirit, okay? We have a spirit that lives forever. Made in the image of God, we have an eternal spirit. But the problem here is that where is the soul and where is the spirit within us? What what is a soulish experience? Meaning that it, it engages our emotions, it may engage our minds, our intellect, Versus what is a spiritual experience where we have been touched spiritually in our relationship with God, you see. And there's a difference. There are some churches that you go to that they're very hyped up emotionally, okay? And there's a lot of soulish sort of experience going on but not necessarily spiritual experience that edifies one's spirit and draws us closer to God. Draws us closer to God, uh, not only in our relationship, but also in our holiness to be like God, you see. So where does that dividing line? See, you, you can't know the difference between soul and spirit except by the word of God that brings discernment, you see. And the word of God comes in And pierces and then shows us, oh, this is a soulish experience. This is a spiritual experience. And otherwise, you can't discern it yourself, okay, without that word. Third, the word discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, it has been said that the most difficult thing in life is to truly know yourself. We say this all the time. Hey, well, know yourself. Well, do you really know yourself? Do we know ourselves? Really? What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah said, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it?" <laughs> you say you know yourself. Do you? Do you really even know your heart? Not according to Jeremiah. He says you can't know. It. You know why? Because it's deceitful. The heart is deceitful. We can easily be led astray. We can easily be deceived. When we were at the pastor's conference, I had a chance to to spend uh, some time with uh, an old friend of mine, Dennis Zeck, who's a magician, and he deceives me every single time I get around that guy. He shows me just how easily I am deceived by my senses, you see. Well, that's for fun, but the heart, is easily deceived. And therefore, you know, if we're, you know, Jeremiah says, you know, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord said, I search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according uh, to the fruit of his doing. So we need the word of God because why? Because the word of God discerns the thoughts of the heart. Where do our thoughts come from? They come from the heart, whether thoughts of good or thoughts of evil. They come from the heart. And this is why God, why Jesus said, look, it's not, you're not defiled by what goes into your mouth, you're defiled by what comes out of you from the heart. Why? Because the heart, from the heart comes deceitful desires, sinful desires. Also good things, too. When the heart has been, you know, redeemed by the Lord. But how do we determine one from the other? It's the word of God, you see, that discerns our thoughts. Now, something may seem right and feel right and yet not be right. On the other hand, something may not feel right, may not be comfortable to us, and yet it is the word of God and it is right. And again, how in the world can you discern one from the other? Well, the word helps us to judge our thoughts as being either good or evil, right or wrong, worthy or worthless. It's only His word that helps us to discern that. And lastly, here, the word discerns our motives. Now, because our hearts aren't deceitful, we can do the right things good works but we can actually do them for wrong motives. Jesus talked about this and why, why in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, listen, when you give, don't be as the hypocrites and when they give, they blow a trumpet, as it were, you know. Yeah, you know, I don't believe they literally blow a trumpet, but the whole point was is that he's saying they wanted everybody to know how much they were giving. Why? Because they wanted the approval of men. And Jesus said, so the problem is they have the reward in full already. That is their reward. And so even though they might have been doing the right thing, they were giving a charitable contribution, and yet they did it with the wrong motives, and they lost their reward. And that's the problem. We can do right things with wrong motives. And so we need to be able to check our motives and make sure that our motives are, in fact, the right motives. Now, what are the right motives? The right motives are the motives that, that are for loving God, loving other people. Just, or, or just the motive of just being faithful to God, obeying what he said. You know, we, sometimes that's just, even the motive of fearing God is okay. It's okay to do something because you fear God. You fear the consequences of not doing it. Or you stop doing it because you fear the consequences. If I keep doing this, you know, problems are going to occur. And that's okay too. But discerning our motives is very important. Why? Because the Lord cares about our motives. In fact, he cares probably more about our motives than about our actual actions. Okay? Why? Because God looks at the heart. He, I might do something. I may intended have intended to do something worthwhile, and yet I made a mistake in judgment. But God looks at my heart. He sees the motive. He sees the motive behind the works, you see. And, and so thank God he looks at those motives. But again, we need his word to be able to discern the motives and judge not only what it is that we're doing, but why we are doing it. One other thing, the Word, what it does, according to James, is that the Word of God is a mirror that shows us, not only does it show us who we really are, so that we really can know ourselves, but how can you know yourself truly until you see yourself the way God sees you? It's not about what I think about myself. It's not even about what others think of me. I mean, some of you are very sweet and kind and you'll say things to me as pastor that, you know, you really bless me. That's great. But, but at the end of the day, I have to take, what does the Lord think about me? You know, how does the Lord see me? And that's really what's important for all of us. How does the Lord see you? Well, it's the word of God that reflects to you how the Lord sees you. And that's how you can really know yourself. In the light of the way God sees you. So, Now I say all this simply for this reason. If you want to make me a happy man. I'm sure you woke up this morning saying. How can I make Daryl a happy man? <laughs> As we go into this new year. But it's not, only, it's not really to make me a happy man. If you want to be happy. If you want to be blessed. If you want to make the Lord happy then value his word. Value his word the way God values his word. Cherish his word because there are so many benefits to you if you know his word, if you're in his word daily, if you're meditating on a day and night as the scripture tells us to do so that you won't be led astray. Here's the other thing is that we all have strongholds of lies we all have bought into lies maybe we were raised that way we were told something was a certain way we grew up believing it and but it's a lie it's not the truth and until we take down those strongholds of lies that exist in our heart through the Word of God, they will continue to exercise a profound influence upon our decisions and our attitudes and our behavior. And until you break that down and demolish that stronghold through the weapons of our warfare that God has given to us, the Word of God, tearing down that stronghold of lies that's in your own heart until you break that down, you will not be free of so many of the addictive behaviors that we fall into. You see, I guarantee if there's any addictive behavior, any sin that you cannot break, I guarantee you that at the very root of that is a lie. You have believed a lie about something that is not, does not measure up with the truth of God. And as soon as you flush that lie out through the word of God, and you replace it with the truth of God, God will then begin to give you the power to break that habit. I guarantee it. And if I'm wrong in that, you come tell me. Because I want to find one example where that's not the case. I'll help you find the lie that you're believing. That's causing you to do what you're doing. Thinking that it's going to bring you happiness in some way. But really it's not. Does that make sense? So that's why we need this word of God. It is a weapon against every lie and deception and power of the evil one. To keep you from being all that God wants you and has empowered you to be in Christ. Amen? Okay, next thing. So he said, verse 13. (laughs) Okay. Now that I just sliced and diced you, okay? Uh, Verse 13. Now, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, this is why it behooves us to really let the word do its work. You know, and, and I like the fact that, you know, when it talks about the word being sharper than any two-edged sword, I think of, like, the scalpel of the surgeon. You know, when you have cancer, and, and they have to remove, like, like I had a, a, cancer, a, can, a basal cell cancer thing on my skin and my face, and, you know, and they had to remove it surgically and, you know, you don't want them to use a dull blade, okay, and rip off your face or something. That would not be good, you know? But, but the, the skilled surgeon's scalpel cuts where it needs to cut to remove the cancer but leave the surrounding tissue unharmed, right? And that's, that's what God does. He comes through his word and he removes the corrupted part of the heart that needs to be removed, okay, so that what's left is is holy, is God can use, you see? It's not messed up by sin. So the reason for all of this is because we are going to give an account of ourselves before God, every single one of us. And that's why it's wise for us to let the Holy Spirit use the word of God to Cleanse our hearts to prepare us ultimately to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now everything is naked, it says, before the Lord, He sees it all. This is why it is absolute insanity to try to cover anything from God or to try to sugarcoat it. You know, I mean, it's, that's insane. God knows. He sees it all. He's seen everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've ever thought, every word you've ever said. He knows it all. So to try to hide something from God, that's just, that's insanity. That's the definition of insanity right there. Okay, so that's what he's saying. He hey, it's all naked before God. We're going to give an account of ourselves. Now, I am not going to give an account for you You're not going to give an account for me. Husbands are not going to give an account for their wives. Wives, I know this is hard to believe, but you're not going to give an account for your husbands. Okay? Parents won't give an account for their children. Children won't give an account for their parents. Everyone will give an account of himself before God. So why then is the word important for that? Well, it prepares us. Listen, I... I, The Lord wants to present us without fault on that day before God, the saints, and the angels. He wants to boast in us, just like he did with Job. It got him into trouble, by the way, boasting in Job, got Job into trouble, but that's another story. God wants to present you faultless. At the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that you can receive rewards for every good thing that you've done. And this is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians where he said, Look, no one can build on any other foundation except the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And we're all building on that foundation either with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And on that day, the fire is going to test the works, what sort of works they are, And there are going to be some that their works are burned up. Why? Because their motives were impure. But then they'll still make heaven because they're not saved by their works. They're saved by grace through faith. But those people that have done works that were of the right motive are, are going to receive reward for what they have done, you see. So all of that, the Word of God prepares us For that day that we're going to stand before Christ. Listen, I don't want to have wood, hay, and straw that's burned up by that fire on that day. Amen? I want to have gold, silver, precious stones. How do you get there? By letting the Word of God through the Holy Spirit work in your life and bring forth those works that you have built upon Jesus Christ that are going to stand the fire and for which you will be rewarded forever and ever and ever. Amen? That's why we need God's Word. I don't think there's anything better that we can do. Over the years, okay, I have walked with the Lord as best I can since I was 19, okay? And, and the thing that has kept me close to the Lord over those years has been daily being into the Word of God, being in the Word of God. That is the thing that has kept me close to the Lord and kept me on the straight and narrow, Okay? Not that I've never wavered, okay? (laughs) But I would have wavered a lot more had it not been for the word of God. Amen? Okay. So, um, now, the second thing that we need, verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So our second resource here is Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. And he is, uh, notice here, it says that he is passed through the heavens. Now, again and again, the author of Hebrews is going to bring us in our mind's eye to this heavenly scene. Where Jesus is not like the high priest that was under the old covenant, who was himself a sinner. um, Who could only go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. He could only go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus has gone through the heavens so so the heaven of our atmosphere of the, of outer space and into what's called the third heaven that is he's sitting at the right hand of God as our high priest. And what the author of Hebrews continually brings us to is the need for us to understand that we have this high priest in heaven who's always making intercession for us, who is sympathetic, who is merciful. Not only that, but Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So if you are in Christ right now, you're seated here in this amazing, beautiful edifice of a sanctuary on these incredibly comfortable seats, okay? But you are also seated in heaven with Christ in heavenly places. Is that not amazing? Now the reason why this is so important. Is because we have access to our high priest 24-7. And we're, we're never to see ourselves divided from Jesus. We should always see ourselves as abiding in Jesus. And therefore we should call upon our high priest whenever we have need he is there for you he doesn't get bored he doesn't have too many other things to do running the universe to spend time with you in fact he said look if I, i'm knocking at the door i'll come in i'll eat with you let's have fellowship and that's the high priest that we have and so he is our great high priest um Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, this is why it was good that probably the angels are not our high priest, okay? Because angels were never human. They were never tempted. Like Jesus was tempted because he was human. No, Now, he didn't have a sin nature like we do, but he was still tempted. In fact, he was tempted far beyond a realm that we could have ever gone to, okay? 40 days out in the wilderness (laughs) with no food, Uh, and then Satan comes, Satan himself comes and tempts him through the same temptations, you know, ultimately the appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, same things that he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, Okay? Jesus went through that temptation, yet without sin. He didn't give in to it. But because he has been tempted in all points, such as we are tempted, he he sympathizes with us. He understands our weakness. He knows our frame. He knows what it is to be human, to hunger, to thirst. He knows what it is to be tempted. Unlike the angels, you know, I, I, always, I always sort of kind of cracked a smile when I, when I read that story about Zechariah. you know, who, you know, Gabriel appears to him and says that his wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son and he's to name him John, you know, and, he, and he's like, well, how can I believe this? And Gabriel's like, hey, I'm Gabriel. I'm in the presence of God because you didn't believe you're not gonna speak. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't know, maybe Gabriel's going to just clean my clock when I get to heaven, okay? But I just think, you know, that's sort of the way angels are. They're just like, it's cut and dried. You know, you don't understand. I came from God. You know, you didn't believe, so this is what's going to happen, you know? But Jesus, Jesus, he's merciful. He's sympathetic because he was human. He knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. And therefore, that's who we are go to. Listen, if you are going through a problem, if you have failed in some way, if you have sinned, if you have disappointed yourself or your family or, or your church or, or your pastor or whoever, listen, the person you're going to want to go to is the person who's your friend, right? Who loves you, who's merciful, not the one that's going to condemn you. Point, point the bony finger at you, right? But the one who's sympathetic doesn't mean that they won't tell you the truth, but they, they'll love you no matter what. And that's who we go to in Jesus because his love is unconditional. He's merciful. He's sympathetic. And this is why, listen, if you sin, don't let the devil isolate you from the church from the lord primarily because he is your high priest who loves you and when you sin you know the thing that he wants you to do more than anything is just come to him and be honest and seek his help as a parent listen when my kids screwed up i didn't want them to go to the parent down the street I wanted them to have enough trust in me to come and just lay it out. This is what I did. This is where I was wrong. Yeah, there might be discipline involved. But hey, I would much rather have them come to me. That tells me they trust me, you see. And that's how the Lord is. And so he he, he beckons us to come to him as our faithful high priest. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's the third thing to come boldly to the throne of grace. We can do that because we have entered into his rest. Now, understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New. Okay, so in the Old Covenant, God dwelt in the tabernacle above the mercy seat, which was the lid, basically, of the Ark of the Covenant. And there, you know, again, you couldn't go there as just a regular person. Only the high priest could go there once a year. That was it. All of that testified that there was a better thing coming, okay? And the better thing is the throne of grace. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, as soon as he died, the veil was ripped in two, signifying that people could now enter the most holy place, okay? That that separation was taken down. But still, that does not even tell us what we have in the new covenant completely because what we have in the new covenant is not even just the mercy seat. Now, mercy is not getting what you deserve, okay? Mercy is, is, you know, you know that you've committed the crime, you deserve the punishment, but you don't get what you deserve. That's mercy. Grace is getting the good that you don't deserve. So now we can approach, not the mercy seat, but the throne of grace that's in heaven. And we can approach that throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, whenever we want to receive what? The good that we don't deserve, you see. That is wide open to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because why? Because the price of my sins has been paid in full. Now here's the problem. Many people won't approach God with boldness. Why wouldn't you approach God with boldness? Well, because you feel like you're not good enough. You feel that you don't deserve it. You you haven't done things right this week like you know you should. And then so, so you hesitate coming to God and asking, well, I don't really deserve it. See, that's not thinking in the terms of the throne of grace. It's thinking in terms of your own performance. And that's what has to be set aside. It's not about your performance. You could never be good enough. So you come in faith in what Christ has given to you, his perfect righteousness imputed to you because you believe in him and you come boldly to the throne of grace. Like my grandkids come to me asking for hot chocolate when they spend the night, okay? They don't think, well, I wasn't really that good. You know, I sort of fought over the toy last night and therefore I can't come to Papa and ask for hot chocolate. They don't think that at all. They just like... I want hot chocolate, you know, they come boldly <laughs> to, to, to Papa, right? Okay, so it's the same childlike boldness approaching your Abba father, daddy, who sits on a throne of grace and delights to give grace. And if you think your sins, are keeping you from receiving that grace, well, I have good news for you because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The issue is not your sin. The issue is your faith. Will you believe that God loves you? Will you believe that Christ died to pay the price in full, no matter how heinous your sin might be? No matter how disgusting or shameful it might be, Christ paid it all. And if you can believe that and then come with boldness to the throne of grace, then you have carte blanche from your heavenly father. Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily that the consequences of your sin are gonna go away, okay? Okay. You commit a crime, you may still have to go to prison or whatever, but as far as God is concerned with the grace that He will pour out in, into your life, it's not predicated upon your goodness. It's predicated upon Christ's goodness. And if you will believe that, then that opens the door wide for you to receive God's grace, His mercy for you to help you in your time of need. So we come boldly, we come to the throne of grace. And thirdly, we obtain mercy and, and find grace to help. We find, we obtain the mercy that we need. Many years ago, when we were living in California, the state offered what they called the tax amnesty program. And what this was, was that, you know, they realized, the state of California realized that People were not paying their back taxes. So, what they did was they said, Look, if you'll pay a portion of your taxes, we'll waive the penalties and the interest and all that, and we'll call it good. We'll settle this, settle the matter. They would rather get something than nothing, you see. But for the person that owed back taxes, that maybe it was way more than they could pay, this was their opportunity. To to obtain mercy, you see, to not get what they deserved. But to have that tax debt forgiven. All they had to do was come forward and pay the portion, and then they would be expunged of all of the other tax debt, okay? And I think of that that because that's what this is like. When we come to Jesus Christ... All of the debt, all of the debts that were piled up against us, God puts away. The the matter is clear. It's settled. But we can't just sit out in the cold and do nothing, you see. We have to do our part, which is to come to Jesus, come to the throne of grace, and say, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. You know, we have to come on his terms. Through the faith in the blood of Jesus. We have to be like the guy, the tax collector that, you know, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen, folks, your pastor needs God's mercy. It's interesting, actually, when Paul, you know, wrote to, in the various epistles, he would say grace and peace. You know, the, the Siamese twins of the New Testament. He would say that in almost every epistle. But he comes to Timothy and he says, grace, mercy, and peace. You need mercy, Timothy. (laughs) I need mercy. There's one prayer you will never, ever catch me praying. God, give me what I deserve. Ain't going to happen, okay? I will never pray that prayer. I will pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? So we need to obtain mercy, and we can, because God sits on a throne of grace. He, He wants to give us mercy and grace. Again, getting the good you don't deserve, getting that, again, from the throne of grace. And it's available to us if we'll just come by faith. Do you know what's really tragic to me? Is to see that there are many Christians. They call themselves Christians. I I don't doubt that they're saved. But they're living in the lowlands spiritually. They're impoverished spiritually. There are so many riches that are available to them in Christ if they would only come by faith and receive them. If they would only take to heart the word of God, clinging to the word of God, knowing the promises of God. God's given us these promises. Why? So you can claim them with boldness. See? Claiming the promises of God, getting rid of the lies that maybe you've swallowed that are holding you back from receiving God's fullness. And it's sad to me because there are people that that they they just abide in that place of the spiritual lowlands. They don't know the mercy that's available to them if they would just come to, you know, to their high priest Jesus and call upon him and ask him for his help. They don't know the the limitless, limitless treasure trove of grace that is available to them if they'll just ask in faith. Because maybe they just don't feel worthy. And so they sort of live in this state of of defeat rather than victory. When they could have victory, look, you're more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. God has intended for you to be an overcomer in every part of life, but you can't do it on your own. You need the word, you need your high priest. You need the throne of grace, and if you'll only come by faith and receive what it is that you need and ask, then what will happen is you'll find that God's resources are so much greater than your weakness, and he will overflow you with his spirit. Why? So that you can be overflowing to others. Hey, look, that's good PR for the kingdom of God, okay? When when Christians are living a, a, a joyful, victorious, happy life in Jesus, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, fearless for whatever the world might throw at you, holding fast to the truth and not being swayed by the the winds of doctrine and falsehood that the enemy is constantly sowing into the culture, when you stand for what's right, victoriously, powerfully, that is a good billboard for Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's why God wants you to experience that power. Folks, that's what my prayer is for you, for me too. As we enter this new year, I, there are times I feel weary. I just get to the end of myself. I get tired. I don't feel adequate, you know? So many times. But then I have to come back and say, Lord, it's not about my feelings. It's not about my sense of adequacy. It's not about even my energy. <laughs> I, have to, I, have to, I have to work smarter, okay? Because I'm getting older, <laughs> but it is about your power at work through your word in the lives of your people. And it's about me simply believing that and believing that we can do exceed, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And God can help us to do far more than we would ever imagine if we will lean upon his resources to do it. Amen? All right, let's pray.